0: Welcome to Story Story Night, the city of Boise's cultural ambassador, where you hear true stories on a perceptive theme recorded live in Boise, Idaho. I'm your host, Jody Eichelberger. In this podcast, three featured storytellers are intermixed with a community story slam. Today's featured stories are from Chelsea Hansen, Kai Gathura, and Richard Rockman. This season, our themes are based on the buttons of an old tape recorder. In this episode, we are pushing play. It's story time. Play, a button you push. You pushed play. Thank you. Play, engage in activity for enjoyment and recreation. Take part in a sport. Represent a character in a theatrical performance or a film. A dramatic work for the stage or to be broadcast. The space in or through which a mechanism can or does move. Scope or freedom to act or operate. Play, caper, carouse. Cavort, clown, dally, disport, divert, frisk, frolic, gamble, joke, jump, kibitz, crit, create, rejoice, revel, romp, skip. Here's your playful host, Jody Eichelberger. <laughs> Welcome to Story Story Night. Hey, that's a little tight. <laughs> um, so, uh, we were gonna be legit, and we were gonna have my voice recorded on this reel to reel, but this actually is my father's old reel to reel from, I think, around 1968, which I'm not sure I've used since I drove it across the country in a U haul and it's been sitting in my garage. So we've discovered that the playhead, that may not be the right technical term. Uh, Is that right, the playhead? (laughs) Sounds good. I'm getting a thumbs up, I think. Uh, Is slipping and not making contact with the magnetic tape. So uh, we cheated. Yeah, we cheated. Uh, Hey, first of all, thanks to E.L. Anderson, who did not cheat. Um, do you want to say something about your relationship to
1: play? Well, basically, uh, to play all the songs, I've been learning this clarinet ever since I was in sixth grade. And to really make those songs um, sing, for lack of a better word, um, uh, you have to kind of break the rules. Like, um, like uh, I'm always taught to maintain good embouchure and, uh, was in uh, like middle school and college and stuff. But in order to play these songs, you just got to play. Actually, you can't really pay attention to all those rules, and I think they sound all the better
0: for it, so. Yeah. And it's also interesting because you are not only playing the clarinet, but you've got something going on with MIDI files or yeah. something over there. How did you develop the, the relationship between playing the clarinet live and using your tracks?
1: Um, Well, my dad actually shared a lot of footage of violinists playing uh, to hip hop music, and like black violin and stuff. But I found there haven't really been a lot of like clarinets. I mean, there's some, like there's this guy over in Russia who can do it, but not as many uh, as I see with like violins. And I just decided
0: to try try it out. Nice. It's great. That's great. So Russia and Boise, everyone. (laughs) Story, story night. Um, also, I would like to thank my partner in crime here, interpreting for the deaf and hard of hearing, Lavona Andrew. And later on, uh, you will also see Sierra MacGyver. We are very grateful to the city of Boise and the mayor of Boise who one day this last summer called me up and said, hey, Jody, would you like to play with us as the cultural ambassador of the city of Boise? And that's what Story Story Night is, the cultural ambassador for the city of Boise until 2025. Um, We're very grateful for that support from the city, and also uh, it aligns with the mission of the city to have a place for everyone, you belong here. It's about inclusivity and elevating everyone's stories because as we like to say, everyone has a story. So thanks to to them. I also wanna thank our uh, season sponsor, the Shandro Group. Thank you. And um, our show sponsor tonight is the Boise Group. You might've met some of them out in the hall earlier. So this one, this one does work. Uh, This is what this season is modeled after. Uh, The themes are all following the buttons on this tape recorder. Uh, They're not always the same order. The buttons on that one um, don't follow it. By the way, this is now playing Captain and Tennille. So (laughs) if you started, my dad apparently transferred it onto the reel-to-reel. And so I think Elton John's on there too, later. Uh, so, if you start feeling like a psychic vibe it 's coming from there uh, this uh, so we 're following we 've already done this is we 're on side A of our tape right now next month, I have to flip the tape over uh, but we 've done record that was our first show we 've done rewind tonight we 're here for play and then we 'll be moving on to fast forward stop and eject to finish out the season um, and Our other person who was inspired by these buttons tonight is our show sponsor. We have a little message from them here. In life's constant fast-forward hustle, it's rare to find moments where we can just hit pause or play and think back to our stories. At Boise Group, we appreciate the power of these moments, the stops and starts the rewinds to our favorite memories, and the eagerness to play forward into our new beginnings. As real estate professionals, we know every home we sell isn't just a property, it's a collection of stories, a space where time can be paused for laughter and love, and where families can press the play button and start creating all kinds of new memories. Thank you to the Boise Group, that was beautifully (laughs) written. Uh, so, I, my background, as I've talked about before, is in theater. Uh, so, when I hear the word play, I do think of play as in a theatrical performance, something that's up on stage. And in the world of theater, uh, we have games that we sometimes use for warm-ups, but when we think of play and theater, it often starts moving towards improvisation where you just get to play with the other people on stage. So, um, I'm doing something a little different tonight, which is gonna happen at the end of the show, uh, after we hear all the stories, and I've invited a guy that I've played with quite a lot. Uh, That didn't come out quite right. (laughs) Matthew Kelly Melton. (laughs) I can explain, I promise, I can explain. We're both married anyway. All right, uh, so Matthew, what, what, are, what are we cooking up for, for the show tonight?
2: Uh, oh, oh, there we are, hi, hello everyone. Uh, yeah, so, so we're, we're trying something tonight, aren't we? Uh, my name is Matt Melton, as you said. Uh, I am one fourth of a newish improv troupe. We call ourselves Hoochie and the Blowfish. <laughs> Sorry, Mom, that's the one we picked and uh we are this evening we are going to attempt here, here's the pledge of this three-part magic trick what we're gonna do uh we are sitting in the back we will be listening intently to all of these stories we have not heard these stories before i've heard a couple of pitches for them i don't know the specifics uh none of us do uh, at the end of the night before you leave stick around uh we are going to come up and do an improvised scene that will incorporate elements of most or all of these stories that you will hear this evening. Uh, we're going to try it. Uh, it's, the pitch I gave to Jody was, what if you took everything from here and put it in the chat GPT and told it to make a new scene? <laughs> that is the pitch. We will see how it goes. So everyone
0: will have six fingers. Is what yeah. you're saying.
2: Six fingers, several yeah. eyes, several the lighting
0: f- will be all weird. It'll be great. Excellent. But, you know, having you on stage, I think about actually the season that we did together when we were virtual and we were doing, we were playing game shows. That's right. And you were our game master for those. Uh, what, <laughs> what have you brought out of that? What are you, what, what's sticking in your head about that experience of doing that season virtually?
2: I, I learned an awful lot about uh, PowerPoint. Oh, <laughs> very quickly, uh, to make the macros to make the games work. Did anybody watch that virtual season? By the way, do we have anybody in here that did that?
0: Thank you. So Thank you, much. and also you're
2: welcome. <laughs> Uh, and I've forgotten all of it. I don't know, oh, I don't don't know, know how to right, do it. I've yeah. not touched PowerPoint since, so I can't help you there. But uh, We did Wheel of Fortune. We did Let's, Let's make, make a deal. deal, Family Feud. Yep. Jeopardy, I think we Jeopardy, did. Jeopardy, yeah. love connection. That was such a, for several reasons, that was so weird to do that virtually in that cool soundstage area. Mm-hmm. But we made, the, the thing I take away from that is that we kept it going, right? We yeah. made it work. We kept it on the rails. You could clap for that. That's great. Thank you. And yeah. that I am most proud of.
0: The thing I remember the most uh, is the time, we had a, a digital screen in the back of the soundstage so we could see all the people at home on their computers. And I think you were the one that said, um, Jody, did you, there's a chicken on one of the <laughs>
2: That's right. Somebody they had just they'd got up and left, but on their Zoom window they've had it was like in a baby seat. A yes. chicken. Yeah, just yeah, a like chicken. A,
0: a little lawn chair kind of thing with chicken feet yeah. that went through.
2: And he yes. was just very polite. Chicken, hanging out, watching the show. We had to we had to talk about it, though we had to. We had to. There was a, so there was a lot of play that season. Yes was, indeed.
0: It was really fun. And so we're looking forward to Hooch, Hoochie, and Hoochie and the Blowfish. Hoochie and the Blowfish. That's, That's right. Extra bonus for you if you want to be a slammer tonight. Um uh, <laughs> you'll get to possibly see yourself portrayed by Hoochie and the Blowfish later, or characters in your story portrayed. That'll
2: People, places, and things. It'll be more avatars of each story. We will blend it all right before your very eyes. Very good. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll see you at the end. Um,
0: the other thing about play for me recently is uh, this season as part of a support for Story Story Night, I published a new book called Audience of One, Stories of Stage, Screen, and Solitude, which will be available at intermission over here. Oh, has anyone read it already? Oh, wow, that's cool. So in there, I do detail a few plays that I was in. One of them was a touring production of The Pied Piper of Hamlin. Uh, one of them was uh, a production called Between Two Worlds, which was a cross between uh, Romeo and Juliet and The Exorcist but it was a Jewish folktale in the style of Chagall. Uh, but the first chapter is what inspired the whole book and that was me attending a play. Well, I thought it was going to be a play. Uh, I was a student in London and I went to a pub theater up on the second floor, eight o'clock show, got up there, sat in the seats and it got real close to eight and I was the only one there. And I soon discovered I would be the audience of one for a one man ballet of Wuthering Heights. So it left quite an impression and I wrote a whole book inspired by that, by that, so that's coming up. Uh, And structuring the book was a challenge coming up with how to place the chapters and the structure of Story Story Night though is very simple. It's three featured storytellers intermixed with a community story slam. The story slam is People in the audience, if you have a story about play, and maybe you thought came here with something in mind, or you hear someone talking about play, or you heard all my words that I said about what play means, you just go over to the Slammer booth right over there, see um, Susan or Ben, and sign your little, your, little, your little name. I don't know if you have a little name. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's a big name. Uh, <laughs> I have a pretty big name, actually. Uh, Put it on a ticket, stick it in there, and they'll bring it. We'll pull a ticket, and you'll get a chance to tell a five-minute story on the theme. We are uh, technically a family audience, uh, PG-13. So keep that in mind when you're talking about play. Uh, Because we could do this theme at late night, too. It would have a whole different energy to it. Uh, I do want to bring our featured storytellers, and tonight as a bonus, the featured storytellers get to try and figure out how to fit on these chairs that I've now smushed the table up against. Uh, Just pull them out to the side, I guess. In reverse order, uh, he got an invitation to the Playboy Mansion. Please welcome Richard Rockman. And then... We have a person who was recently in a play and discovered how play uh, parallels reality. That's Kai Gutherson. Nope, that's not the right name. I've got got it here, I've got it here. It's Kai Guthura. Thank you, Kai. Come on up. Stairs over here. But first up on the mic, and I think I forgot to check that she's even here right now. Uh, Yes, she is. (laughs) Uh, yeah, let me tell you about the Pied Piper of Hamlin. No, we good. First up to the mic, so she's gonna. this is her uh, first time sharing a story at Story Story Night. And uh, let's see, what did I say about this? Ah, a person who is learning to play and continues to play, please welcome Chelsea Hansen.
3: So I spent a bulk of my 20s in party mode. I was always at parties, venues, festivals. And for eight years solid, my life completely revolved around Burning Man. Burning Man is an art festival in the desert that's centered around community and radical acceptance. And people bring these huge art pieces out there that you can interact with. And there's something weird around every corner. And it's basically a a giant playground for adults that inspires creativity and childlike wonder. But every year I would go, I would think, how do I bring that out here in the world? Because what I feel out here, it doesn't feel like that. So suddenly I was 29.
4: I was like, whoa,
3: (laughs) that happened fast. (laughs) Um, And I felt like I was in a vortex in the party scene. And I was also in a vortex of sadness and blame as well within And I was feeling trapped, you know, and boxed in by the whole scene. You know that scene in Alice in Wonderland when she eats that cookie and she grows to be like huge and her arms and legs are bursting out of the windows? It's kind of how I felt, very trapped and also at capacity for what I could learn from that experience. And don't get me wrong, I learned so much from that experience at that time in my life, but it really wasn't reflecting who I was back to me and I knew there was more to me than that. So, I also felt like I was late for something as well, you know, for what, who knows, you know, humans and our destinations, but I knew I I needed to do something different, anything different to shake up the energy for something else to happen, right? So it was right before my 30th birthday, and I had a friend of mine who was also going to be 30 around the same time as me, and I asked her, do you want to do something big to really kick off this whole 30s thing? And she was like, yeah. So we decided to go on this big trip to Europe to commemorate this new season of life. So we started off in London and it was our first night and we played it safe, you know, we just went to a corner pub right next to our Airbnb and we had fun, a little too much fun, if you know what I mean. So the next day we were feeling pretty low energy, (laughs) you know, a little hungover. And we were just wandering around aimlessly, not knowing what to do with ourselves. And we didn't have a plan. You know, we didn't want to do anything touristy. So that's when I suggested that we start by playing a game. You know, we continue to walk, but we start to use our intuition every time we get to an intersection or a choice point and let it draw the areas draw us in, and we choose that direction. Right? So we started playing this game. And we were not playing for very long. When we turn down this old cobblestone street and behind me we hear laughter and this group of people come up behind us and they're in elaborate costumes like big white and black checkered dresses that are poofed out like this, makeup that's you know not your everyday makeup (laughs) and we're both like "Eh, yeah we're going that way you know. (laughs) So we follow these people down to the left and we end up at this building. And there seems to be some kind of hype or buzz around whatever this was. And, you know, there was lines outside the door, there were people in costumes, music, but no real indication of what it was. So we decide to open ourselves up even more, and we have to go in, and we have to find out. So we go up to the front desk and we ask the lady, "Uh, excuse me, what is this? And she was like, we are putting on a production. It's actually an interactive Alice in Wonderland play. And we were like, Uh, Yes, please. We will take two tickets to that (laughs) and she frowned. I'm so sorry This is a soft opening for press only. We're not open to the public yet But you guys should come back next week and see us then and we were like dang You know, we're obviously not from here and we're leaving for Paris in two days and You know, we were just kind of wandering around. We started following our intuition. We see the people and we just ended up here and That's when she looked at us with wonder in her eye I'll be right back, she said. And she returned shortly to say, yeah, we're gonna let you guys in. (laughs) And we were like, really, whoa, okay. How much do we owe you? And she's like, no charge. So we were already astounded at the fact that we stumbled across an interactive Alice in Wonderland play, (laughs) when just moments, like moments ago, we had no clue what we were doing and we were just zombying around London. And then to be let in for free, (laughs) like we were pretty excited at this point. So we get into line, and we wait, and then the line begins to move, and the play begins. So it starts off in this room, when there's books and oddities, you know, things you might find in an Alice in Wonderland room. And there's a man at the front, introducing us to the experience. And I was standing near him next to a bookcase, when suddenly it flung open, and all these pages flew at me. Like the last chapters of my life were bursting from it and falling to the ground. And off to the other side, here comes the white rabbit, nervously worried about the time, in a rush to get somewhere, through the door and down the rabbit hole. Sound familiar? (laughs) I could definitely relate to his rush for time, and I was the first one through that door. So we continue to interact with this play, and we get ID cards that indicate we're court cards for the Red Queen. They take us down this dark hallway that had these little holes cut out in the wall, and we're meant to peep through them. So we look, and it look we are looking at Alice. And she's trying to figure out who she was. She's locked in this room trying to figure out a way out of it, you know, stuck behind a looking glass, you know, but not able to see her true refle- reflection. And, you know, I was like, is she going to figure it out? Am I going to figure it out? <laughs> I feel like I've just... Wasted, I shouldn't say wasted, but spent a huge chunk of my life running from that altogether. So again, I feel like I'm looking at my reflection, you know, at a lost little girl who didn't know who she was. And from there, we went to see, we went to a room, right, that looks like the ocean. And there was a big pile of trash on the beach next to this piano. When suddenly, this pile of trash begins to move. And it's the Mock Turtle, and he gets up and sings his lament and the uh, piano in the rain. Now, the Mock Turtle is not in the movies, okay? It's a character in the books that is perpetually crying and reliving the past and just living in that state. And at this point, I'm taking it personally. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) okay, yes, I, I relate to this vortex of sadness, you know? From there. We go, to the, we go to sit on the jury at Alice's trial against the Red Queen. And from there, the play ends, and we are taken to this ballroom where there's circus performers, actors in costume and in character, um, bars, food, all the producers and press, and we just spent the rest of the night all for free. Now, we never would have had that experience If we had gone to that same bar from the night before because it was familiar, or we had some plan with expectations, you know, we literally went from opening ourselves up to following our intuition and our curiosity until we literally fell down the rabbit hole. It was crazy. (laughs) And this experience impacted my life. You know, and I found myself looking for these rabbit holes everywhere. You know? trying to recreate my experience, which was my first mistake. (laughs) You know, that tends to strangle the creativity. It takes the magic out of the moment, you know? But I found that it worked better when I was traveling. Um, If I was somewhere that I was familiar with, my left brain would take over and, like, drag me in the directions that it knew. Or, you know, if I had obligations the next day, it's, it's harder to open up, right? But it wasn't until years later that I realized that life is just a series of rabbit holes, you know? It's not just those exciting experiences that you can have on vacation, although those are nice. But it's, a rabbit hole is just a choice. It's just a choice to do something different. You know, something where I don't know what's going to happen, but there's only one way to find out. And actually, this was a rabbit hole. It was. I was driving down the street, and I felt that same familiar feeling, you know, i got to do something different. i got to mix it up, you know? And I heard my intuition say, all you have to do is jump. And I was literally driving by, and I look up, and in big red bold letters, (laughs) it says jump on the side of this building. I'm not making this up. So I laughed, right, at the synchronicity. And then I remembered my friend said they do storytelling there. And I was like, maybe I should tell a story. Or maybe I should just go see what they do there. I immediately start backpedaling because I've never done this before, right? And it sounds scary. So there's some fear, right? So a month later, he reaches back out. Do you want to go to story, story night? And my intuition was like, you should tell a story. And I was like, Ugh. So I immediately ran to my computer, and I got online, and I submitted my story before my fear could talk me out of it. And I was like, I'll just see what happens. And a couple days later, Jody hits me up, and he's like, sounds like your story's perfect for the theme play. And I was like, theme? (laughs) Okay. I had no idea. You know, I just jumped. And the universe has a funny way of catching you when you do that. So at thirty-eight years old, do I know who I am? (laughs) Kinda. (laughs) But not to sound cliche, but that is a journey, not a destination. And what I've learned from this whole experience, this whole rabbit hole experience, was the importance of following my intuition and embracing the magic and mystery of life, you know? And so that's what I do. I follow my heart and my intuition wherever it leads me. Now. Does it lead me into plenty of these rooms where I expand or I shrink or I cry pools of tears like Alice? Yep. (laughs) It sure does. (laughs) But it always gets me to where I need to be, whatever that looks like. And it is my choice to follow it that gets me there.
0: Thank you, Chelsea. Uh, I know exactly who I am and I'm spending a whole lot of energy trying to change that. But it's another way to do it. Uh, it's a good testimonial though for featured storytellers and anyone can be a featured storyteller. All you have to do is write in to story at storystorynight.org or you can go to our website storystorynight.com and there's a link that says stories and a little form. That gets sent to me and then I can um, write to you and, and say, hey, it sounds like your story is perfect for our theme. Let's have tea. <laughs> and I'll wear my Mad Hatter hat. I didn't wear a Mad Hatter hat, though. Uh, Al- we actually had at Story Story Late Night, we had a whole season that was based on Alice in Wonderland. You can find it on our podcast. Uh, and one of the themes was Down the rabbit-, rabbit Hole. And I remember it very well, because this uh, Victor was his name, and you can find on the podcast his story about going down the rabbit hole, which was his quest to fuel his van using vegetable oil. (laughs) And he decided he would do that by driving from here to Mexico or Alaska. I can't remember which one it was, but he had to stop at restaurants along the way and funnel the oil through his socks he went with his girlfriend, but he did not come back with her. <laughs> Guess I gave it away, so now you don't have to listen to it. The other thing I, Alice in Wonderland brings me to mind with, with play is I'm a child of the 70s, and it was the era where the VCR appeared. Um, a VCR is a thing that we attach <laughs> to our televisions. Uh, Uh, And uh, one of the movies we had was Alice in Wonderland. And because it was a brand new VCR, it was like magic, like looking through the looking glass. And so we played Alice in Wonderland over and over and over. It was the Disney animated version. And now all the songs. I often give myself very good advice, but I very seldom follow it. Of course, a very merry on birthday, you know. Uh, over and over again. The, uh, but I think the one, and um, perhaps I'll ask some the slammer booth to bring up our ticket or tickets uh, at this point, and we'll pull a slammer. But <laughs> the movie that I watched more than Alice in Wonderland, and I guess the holidays just passed us, uh, was a production that I might have been the only one that has seen it because I keep telling people about it, and no one recognized it. It was called It Happened One Christmas, starring Marlo Thomas, and I watched it over and over and over and over. And then one day I was just watching regular TV, uh, the signal that was coming over the air, and Jimmy Stewart was saying Marlo Thomas's lines <laughs> verbatim. And I was like, what is happening? Why is it a man? Why is it in black and white? Turns out it was a remake of It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> All right, let's welcome Allison Jin for a five minute story on the theme play. Um, have you done this before, Allison? This is my first time. Your first time? How exciting. Again, thank you again. Um, so if you run out of time, I will sneak over here and... Um, I was gonna play something, but I don't know what to play. I'll play a hum in your ear. I guess I'll do that.
5: B, ah, guest, I sang, probably off key, and definitely in a poor French accent. I was playing Lumiere in a community theater production in Buffalo, Wyoming. It was a small town, a quiet village, and. Every day, like the one before, I had been rehearsing for this play. I was also in the midst of a divorce, and it was a tale as old as time. (laughs) Boy meets girl, they have a fairly chaste courtship, we married young, we bought a 1939 log cabin that was being slowly reclaimed by nature. We also had an uninvited guest that lasted for several months. In this case, it was my brother-in-law, not a charming French woman who loved to read. (laughs) And uh, I have to say, at some point I did shout, enough, I'm done. There must be more than this provincial life for me so back to the play um it it is hard to go through a divorce in a rural town by the way uh the the villagers that i lived with uh, many of them were kind but a lot of them used their opinions like battering rams against the door of the castle of my life Uh, but there were a few gems and one of them uh, was a woman named marjorie she and her daughters had also decided to join this play Uh, her youngest daughter was playing chip the teacup And they were very kind to me that summer. It was a difficult time in my life. And it takes a lot of confidence to get up on a stage and to perform with gusto, especially when your life is falling apart around you. And Marjorie, in particular, invited me to dinner with her girls. Uh, She actually entrusted me with their care when she and her husband took a weekend away. Her daughter, Hollis, came and stayed at my house. Um, which was really warming to me as a person who is living on my own again for the first time in my adult life post-marriage. Um, I don't quite have a closing in mind, except that I think that what I did learn uh, about myself is that you can find that you're wrong and you can change. That divorce shaped my life in ways that I didn't quite imagine that it would, uh, but there was light at the end of the tunnel. I performed the play, again, probably poorly. Um, I went on uh, to, to make my way in, in life knowing that I was making the right decision for myself, and I did find a happily ever after. I've been happily married for the last six years, and um, I do encourage you guys all to follow your dreams, whatever shape those may take.
0: And Allison, if you would go visit the Slammer booth there, because we are not playing. you got to sign a release form. (laughs) I was just trying to... Oh, there, you are here inside. I saw E.L. go out the back door, and I just got nervous that he was (laughs) locked out there. (laughs) But I see you over there, you're good. Um, Something just happened here. I don't know if this happened in your head, but when Allison was telling her story about playing Lumiere in Beauty and the Beast, I was picturing about a seven or eight year old girl. And then she said, and then she said, and I was getting a divorce. (laughs) Story changed very quickly. Beauty and the Beast. Very good. All right. Well, uh, next up, we're going to have our featured storyteller who was very, also very recently in a play, uh, but did not play a candlestick. Please welcome Kai Gathura.
6: everybody. <laughs> so my name is Kai. I was in it was like around like October time and what happened was that I was reading this really bad script with a friend because we just both got bored and I was just like you want to come over and like read a really bad script and she was like yeah sure and so we were reading it and then, of course, it fulfilled our expectations. It was horrible. And we started talking about our favorite shows and, of course, what the magnus, magnum opus of all of it was for us. And, of course, we're going through things, and we start like singing musicals like Anastasia, A Chorus Line. And then on my shuffle comes a musical called Hair. And I'm just like, oh, shut up. Anisha, which was her name, I was like, you've got to listen. You've got to hear about this show. It's Hair. It's my." favorite show. Like it's hair. Like what else do I have to say? So and she's like, "You know what local theater's doing the production, right?" And long story short, I become part of the cast for the show 2 days later. <laughs> the world works in mysterious ways. So This show, Hair, is basically a musical about hippies in the 60s. That's the very, 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 very short version. But it basically has to go around with this main character. His name is Claude. And he's pulled between two realities that face him. He's... A man being drafted to go off to war to the Vietnam War in the 60s and him in the hippie lives and like the ensemble characters are just like no 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 no, like screw the war bring your draft card blah 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 but of course his family and society is telling him like you've got to go like that's your duty you've got to go and so that's the whole premise of the story and it's so minuscule but it's so powerful and it's an incredible 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 show and so Of course I got to be a part of it and I wasn't playing anyone special I mean I got to sing Abraham Lincoln's emancipation proclamation and I mean like it was during an acid trip that was fun but um, like outside of that I was just an ensemble character and there was something special about that Um, when you're creating a character on stage you have to really think about who you're creating and what their story is going to be and the less important you are to the actual structure of the show, the blankier your slate is and the more creativity you get to have to create that character, which I mean is great, but it's also terrifying. And so I remember that I was given this blank slate of a character and I was doing all these random lines from throughout the show. Sometimes my name was like, tree number two. Sometimes it was Abraham Lincoln. Sometimes it was like Luna. And I'm just like, who am I? And I was just like, but then it really hit me. I was like, who, who am I? And so I started figuring out and trying to play around to see who this person was. And so, of course, for like dramatic effect, I was like, I'm going to make it really, really sad and whatever. And so I named her Barry, and we used the nickname Babe and then it somehow landed as BB in the playbill. So don't know how that happened, but it happened. And I was like, okay, how about we get really dramatic and she has struggling parental issues. And it was just like, okay, cool, what is she gonna do? And so I started thinking and just started figuring things out. And I ultimately started going into academic stress and academic trauma. And I was just like, okay, she's a student. And her parents are just like constantly pounding her, like you have to get good grades and anything less than a B, then oh, whatever. And then she's also playing instruments and then she's also doing sports, but then she's still gotta get good grades and then still have eight hours to sleep and whatever. And so I was just creating her and I was like, this is good, this is good, this is good, (laughs) write it down, write it down, (laughs) write it down. And so I was like, okay, so this academic stress is pulling on her from her parents, this, the stress to just have to be the perfect human, basically, at such a young age. These hippies who we were playing, they were young people. And so I was just like, okay, cool. How, how did she get out of here? Because, of course, ultimately she ends up being a hippie. And I was like, okay. I put her in a corner, and I made her valedictorian of her class. And the reason why is because it forced her to make a decision about whether she was gonna stay or whether she was gonna go. And so, I ultimately told her that she had to go. And I was just like, okay, so you decide to run away. She gets a couple hundred dollars and that she steals from her parents. And then like she goes, lives the high life, she like skips between, hosp- like, be- not hospitals, hotels, what? And so she's just hopping and skipping and living her best life. And I remember as I was thinking about that high life that she was living that I got really frustrated. And then I got like really sad. And I couldn't figure it out cause I was just like, girl, it's literally, like it's Barry, like it's not you. <laughs> like you'd be surprised. And then I realized that those emotions of frustration and sadness, it was envy, it was jealousy. And so of course I just sort of sat there cause I realized I was like, oh shoot, whoa. <laughs> she gets to do what I didn't, you know? And of course, Barry's parents were a lot more dramatic than mine are. But it's still that sense of you were pounded and you had to do instruments. Like for me, by the time I was five years old, I had done ballet, taekwondo, I was getting good grades and going to a really prestigious school, was playing violin and soccer. Five things when I was five. Okay, I was stressed at five. But I was just thinking about it, and I was just like, okay, we're gonna give Barry the happy ending, we're gonna like, get our blood flowing, like, let's move this along. And so I'm thinking about what she's gonna do, blah, 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 blah. And then I was like, oh my gosh, okay, perfect. She gets a family. And so what happened was that in my mind, even though she had left her bio family, she was starting to lower run on funds. And it was like, okay, girl, you need to figure out a solution or you're gonna have to go back to the pound. You're gonna, you're gonna have to go back. And I was just like thinking about it. And then of course, I was like, boom, this is where the tribe comes in. The tribe finds her, she doesn't find them. And slowly by slowly, she gets introduced to all the different characters. And next thing you know, she's opening up parts of herself and she realizes that there's this hole in her heart that's being filled that she didn't even realize was empty. It was just something that included freedom, that included joy, that included like all these beautiful things that made her realize and go from this robot to a human. And so it was like crazy, because I was like, wait, that's actually really, really cute, aww. (laughs) And then naturally, as the universe has it, as rehearsals continued for the show, that cast, we were a baker's dozen, 13 people, they slowly were filling up that hole in my heart that made me turn from robot to human. I didn't even realize it. And it was something that was so beautiful. So you can imagine the dread that I felt on December 16th when I woke up and looked at the room around me. I remember I sat up and I was looking and there was these two suitcases in the corner of my room. One was filled with clothes, one was filled with half wrapped Christmas presents. There was a mess all over my room, and I remember seeing a pile of goodbye notes that I had written for the cast and crew. I remember finally getting out of bed, getting ready for the day, going to the venue, putting on my wig, getting on stage, (laughs) performing my songs, having intermission, taking a piss during intermission, going back on stage for the second act, all of it. But there's this moment in the second act where, remember Claude, he has to go. I'm sorry, spoiler. And it's like a sad moment. It's not meant to be happy. He doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to leave. But he has to. And there's this song called Good Morning Starshine, which is like this so, like this such like happy-go-lucky, like, ooh. But once you add that context of he's leaving and he might never come back and see his family again, his chosen family, it becomes one of the most depressing songs out there. And so I remember that we were on stage and then Claude has this line right before the song. He said, this is our last night together. This is our last night on earth. Let's spend it together. And I remember that I just started crying because for me, the show ended December 16th but for the rest of the cast, the show ended December 23rd. So we were just like going on throughout the show and I remember I just started crying, but of course me and my theatrical self started like leaning it towards the light and was like, this is, I'm crying, but it's for dramatic effect and blah, blah, blah. And I got, of course, like got tons of compliments. It was like, oh my gosh, the crying on stage was beautiful. I was like, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's fine and so for me even though i was seeing this beautiful family in front of me of course for barry that was just another day for her of course she was losing someone that she cared about but she got to go back to that family but for me i was the one who was leaving i was claude and so i remember we took a bow the show ended cried my tears said goodbye left the following morning had major jet lag because I was flying back to go see my family. I was going to the place that I didn't want to be. I was leaving my family for my family. That wasn't fun, because whenever I had jet lag, I would wake up, and I would check the time. It would be the time I would be on stage back here. So it would be like, oh, girl, I'll be singing right now. Like, Abraham. Like, I would be trying to, like, manifest it, I'd be like, don't forget about me, any of it. But of course, because of the fact that I left early, I never really got closure. You know, it was like, even though I played around with it, and now that I'm back in town and living my good old hippie life, I guess, it's not the same, you know? I've been able to see some of my family, but not all of them. But of course, life moves on and that's okay. And now it's January 23rd, exactly a month after the official closing night, my birthday. I'm wearing The official, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) I am wearing the official pants and shoes that I wore for the show. And I can officially have my final bow. Thank you. (laughs)
0: Things I love about that story—I don't usually comment on stories. So I'm gonna—I'm gonna break the rules a little bit because one of the things I love about Kai's story is you're about. Oh, the tape just ended. All right, intermission. Bye. <laughs> we're about over halfway into the story about her being in the production of Hair, and the sh- and the sh- we haven't even gotten to the point where the play actually starts yet, which is so cool that you spent all of that time developing that backstory and that character. Um, one of my favorite parts of my position here at Story Story Night is that I get to spend more time with these beautiful people that are up on stage with me. And we have these one-on-ones where we hear more about the context of their story. And you know, you don't, I wish, in a way, I wish that you could all be there with me during those moments, but also I just want them for myself. So I <laughs> don't know what to do about that, um, And but there are Some additional details that I just want to share really quickly. Uh, One is uh, that part about learning to play instruments. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, Kai, but I believe you play 10 instruments. (laughs) Yeah. So that kept going. Uh, (laughs) I guess she had to add a new one each year as she got older. Five things when five, six and six, seven and seven. Um, Currently a student at Boise State University in which year is it? Your sophomore year, right? And um, just a fun—can I just share where you went to see your family? Is that okay? Because uh, it's pretty fun. I uh, the how I found Kai was kind of through a back door. So the theater has a Slack channel, and I'm also part of Alley Repertory Theater. So I looked at the Slack channel for hair, and I saw that Kai had made because she had to leave early. She made a video from where she was um, to say, you know. Congratulations, everybody, I miss you. And the interesting thing about the video is there were a lot of goats in the background. (laughs) And I think at one point I asked like, how many goats were there, Kai? And she said, oh, about 500. (laughs) Because uh, her family actually has a farm in Kenya. And so that was where she had to travel to and is what interrupted interrupted her run in hair because she had to spend the holidays with the goats and the family (laughs) far far away all right yes Uh, it is also fun to hear stories that i relate to and hearing you know how you think you're creating this character that's kind of distant from yourself like oh i'm such a good actor I've created this character that is so far from myself. Uh, For instance, one of the characters that I played a couple of times um, actually was B. Arthur as Dorothy Zhvornak in The Golden Girls. And I thought, I am such a good actor. I'm playing B. Arthur. And people who know me quite well said, well, it's really just you in a dress. And upon reflection, I realized, you know what? B Arthur and I really are pretty tight. (laughs) Yes, Uh, and that, that was fun, that was fun. Okay, back to the regular scheduled program. It says here, I am supposed, all I have to do is press play. Picture this. You just received your long awaited 1989 Taylor's version cassettes, and you are dying to hear the new Vault tracks as you cruise around in your Geo Tracker. Nothing sounds as smooth as a brand new tape when you push play. At Shandro Group, we believe your benefit implementation process should be as smooth <laughs> as that first listen of blank space. Not only do we help you take care of your employees with fantastic benefits, but we take communication, benefits, education, and enrollment as seriously as our love for excellent music, and we do it with a style. Are you worried about compliance? We will keep you out of the woods with that too. We want to help resolve your concerns and we'll create a customized plan that addresses them. All you will have to do is push play. Thank you, Shandro Group. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I also, (laughs) speaking of compliance, I just realized I've completely screwed up our YouTube broadcast uh, because uh, this woman is not known for giving up her music. And so uh, this part, if you're watching on YouTube, you can't hear anything we're saying because it's been been muted, the sound is off. That's okay. All I'm really saying is that I'll be over here if you have a copy of the book you'd like signed. And we're going to take about a 10-minute break. And we'll welcome E.L. Anderson back up for some more music as well. See you back for more stories. Thank you, E.L. Anderson. All right, we are going to start our second act here. I want to remind you that it's not too late to sign up at the Slammer booth. Also, I didn't mention earlier, but if you are deaf or hard of hearing, we also welcome you to be a storyteller. And in that case, we do have an extra microphone here for our interpreter to voice your story for our audience. So um, don't let that be an obstacle, if that is something that you would like to do. As we start the second act, we're actually going to feature a song from EL. And it sounds quite interesting because uh, it's... uh, part of a new audio book that's in progress that's, that's called The Earth Spirit. So uh, this audiobook incl- is this an original piece that you've written?
1: Yeah, yeah, it is,
0: it is. And it includes uh, text and then also...
7: Yeah,
1: yeah, uh, yeah it's an audiobook and it's gonna be interspersed with songs. I'm just in the process of scripting it right now. Wow. Uh, you, you guys are actually gonna be the first to hear one of the songs. This is probably one of the first completed pieces of production, actually.
0: Wow. <laughs> And this song is very perfect title for starting act two because it is currently called See You Again. Please don't sue me Charlie Poof.
8: all alone, stuck in a darkness that I never knew, and then I met you, and for the first time I believed I'd make it through. my mind, I'm thinking about you all the time, I can't let it go, cause in my heart these feelings grow, I gotta see you again, I'm throwing caution to the wind, I don't know where and I don't know when But all I know is I've got to see you that I want to be
0: You are so talented. That's so... <laughs> That's like a, a spell just came and swirled around the room and we've all been magicked into a new place. Amazing. Where, uh, when this becomes available, where would people find it? Um, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud. I'll even
1: probably have some physical copies as well. And they just would search for E.L. Anderson. Yep, yep. Yeah. I'll, 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 okay. I'm pretty active on social media, so I'll keep anyone who follows me. I'll keep y'all updated
0: on it. All right, thank you so much. <clears throat> All right, Slammer Booth. It's time for me to see you again as we start off the second act with. Uh, a slammer from our suitcase of old cassette tapes that are soundtracks to church songs that I used to sing when I was growing up. Uh, Chelsea, you can choose if you wanna come sit up here or stay down there, it's up to you. Uh, But I'm gonna have, let's have uh, Richard choose the next ticket. (laughs) Kai, by the way, is not here for the second act. She had to go feed the goats. Okay, I think this might be a slammer that we have had before. They didn't put their last name, but we'll see. Uh, Laura A, Laura, hey. Am I right? Are you the Laura that I have had at our microphone before? Very good, nice to have you back. Thank
9: you very much. Hey everyone, long time no see. Sadly, it's my fault, not yours. <laughs> when I heard that tonight's theme would be play, I thought, do I have anything meaningful to contribute to this? <laughs> and sitting here listening to, listening to our wonderful storytellers. I brought to mind, not that long ago, I got to see my dad and my little sister doing Legos together at our kitchen counter. Now this is a family tradition. This is a very important family tradition. You do not understand how important Legos are. I'm 30, my younger sister is 16, and my dad guards the bucket of Legos underneath his bed in the master bedroom. Okay, Legos, are a very important piece of our family bonding, you could say. But it's also really cool because I learned how to play from my dad in almost all meaningful ways in my life that I can think of anyhow. When I was little, my parents divorced, and I don't think anyone would disagree with me when I say that I was 100% totally a daddy's girl, like all the way. He introduced me to maybe everything that I love these days, Um, reading out loud. We read Narnia when I was little. He even did the voice of Reepicheep, but I'm not sure you could pay him to do it now. Uh, Let's see, he also introduced me to video games. Because I had young parents, he had to bring me to work with him. So I also enjoyed fun games like office darts and hiding in the office cupboards where you're supposed to put files but instead my dad put little girls (laughs) and uh, soon enough i was playing video games with his other mid-20s college well i guess not college at that point mid-20s uh co-workers and they were all very disappointed that my button mashing could win against all their fighting games um but you know where he went i went and I remember when I was little, I don't even remember what we were doing. I said something like, "Oh, I can't wait to grow up. And he said to me, well, you're not gonna say that when you're older. (laughs) By the way, Dad, I still 100% say that. (laughs) Being adult is way better. (laughs) But I think that's because I carried with me into adulthood the one thing that he made sure, well, many things, one of many things he made sure I took with me. Which is just because you grow up, doesn't mean you forget how to play. So these days, I'm tutoring at a Huntington Learning Center over on Bound, and I get along really well with the kids. Actually, it's a problem because I'm only supposed to be working there part time, and they keep scheduling me for more hours because I get along really well with the kids. My boss says to me, "Geez, like what is it? What is it that you do?" You know. And I said, "Well, I just I don't know. I just don't really think I'm an adult on the inside, really, to the point where sometimes my kids will ask me, oh, "You're such a funny grown-up. What is wrong with you?" Like <laughs> And I always say, "Can I tell you a secret?" And of course, kids are just like simps for secrets, right?" And I'll lean really close and I get eye to eye because it's fun to build the tension. And I'll just say, I may look like an adult, but I'm secretly a little kid inside. And that just seems to blow their mind a little bit. So here's to my dad who gave me possibly the best cheat code to life, never stop playing. And I hope everyone else can inject a little play in your lives too, thanks.
0: Thank you, Laura. Don't forget to sign our release over the other direction. I could tell you totally didn't forget. Um, Video games, oh gosh, those are so. (laughs) Uh, I used to subscribe to a magazine called Compute's Gazette, and I had a Commodore 64. Um, The memory of those, if you remember, is 64K. The Computes Gazette had games in it that were written in machine language. And you would turn the pages of the magazine, I would do this for hours, (laughs) typing in four digit codes that were in lines of like groups of six. And in order to uh, make sure that you didn't make a typo, it had a little added bonus that would add the numbers together to check if the sum was correct so that you could tell if you made a mistake. Uh, Plus, when I finished, um, I saved it on a cassette uh, drive, which was attached to my Commodore, and it would take approximately, hmm, I would say I probably typed for an average about 20 hours for one of the games, and it would take 15 minutes to save it onto the cassette. (laughs) And then another 15 minutes to verify it. Yeah, they're a little different. The graphics also are not quite what they are today. Pretty different, pretty different. All right, we are going to have our last featured storyteller now. Uh, He was also featured at our late night series over at the Visual Arts Collective Uh, last, no, was it just this? Oh, just this last October at Halloween. Uh, The theme was trick or treat, stories of dupery or delight. I can't remember if yours was dupery or delight. It was dupery, yeah, it was dupery. So tonight he's here to share with us uh, his experience with play. Please welcome back Richard Rockman.
10: A cold chain-link fence, dank, moist around me, and I got a handful of succulent blueberries. Crikey. (laughs) I've been obsessed with animals since I was a little kid. Um, I was challenged speaking when I was younger. My first word was elephant. I was obsessed with animals. I knew all the animals. I know a lot about animals still, hence the giraffe. And I watched Steve Irwin all the time, the Crocodile Hunter. Uh, Steve Irwin is a conserv was a conservationist, uh, wrestled animals, had a TV show, was amazing. You know, it's sinking anything. Thank you.
0: It happened to Steve Irwin
10: too. Oh. So. Years go by for my childhood of watching people like Steve Irwin, and Jane Goodall. And I want to become a zookeeper. I want to be with the animals that I'm obsessing over so much. So I go to one of two community colleges in the United States that specializes in zookeeping, in it's called Moore Park College in northern Los Angeles. And I'm taking a bunch of classes to try to get into the program. It's really competitive, one of which is just an English class. And it's like an English composition, whatever. So I'm taking this class, and after class, I talk to my classmates and ask, you know, what are you, what are you doing for the weekend? And my friend Bree is like, oh, I'm going to my part-time job. It's like, oh, cool, where do you work? She's like, oh, at the Playboy Mansion. I'm a zookeeper there. I'm like, what? Can I come? And she's like, yeah, absolutely. I'm like, OK, cool, let me ask my boyfriend. So go to my boyfriend, Gavin, nice Jewish boy. And I ask him, like, hey, can we, can we go together to the Playboy Mansion, go see some animals and stuff? And he's, he's a meteorologist, not really, you know, into playing with animals and stuff like that. But I'm like, come on, like, how many chances do we get to do this? And he's like, okay, fine. So we go, and we, we drive, I think it's continuously sinking. <laughs> um, may, maybe. And we go through Beverly Hills, we go through Hollywood, to the playboy mansion and is sprawling palm trees everywhere verdant lawns big pool with you know the grotto the cave with all the you know where the models like take pictures and stuff like that it is opulent go to the security guard maybe sign a release i kind of forget (laughs) and we are walking through the past with brie and my boyfriend some other guests as well and there's peacocks just walking around the property, really loud and beautiful. There's an albino one. There's a bunch of like really brash green and dark colors and just spectacular looking. There's noises everywhere, parrots, monkeys. The, the air is just filled. And so uh, for those of you that don't know Playboy Mansion, where they, okay, we'll go into too much detail, but this is where uh, Hugh Hefner, as problematic as he was, um, not only ran his Playboy magazine empire, whatever, he also rescued animals. And a lot of these animals had bigger enclosures than is required by AZA Requirements Association of Zoos and Aquariums. And so they lived really good lives. Um, One of which was a group of 60 squirrel monkeys that he rescued either from medical testing or cosmetic testing, I kind of don't remember. But uh, we were gonna meet them. I was super excited. So we're going to all the different enclosures, seeing the monkeys and stuff. And so she tells, uh, Brie tells us, you're gonna be feeding these squirrel monkeys, 60 of them. They're in their enclosure and we're freaking out. This is awesome. This is so cool. So we we get up to the enclosure and we to take you to outer space for a second. It's kind of like the International Space Station where you get up into the, cage and there's like another cage so like you know when the astronaut comes from outside into like the first airlock and then you go into the second whatever so we do that we're in the airlock area the chain link fence she hands us the cartons of blueberries we're so excited oh my gosh oh my gosh and the monkeys are going crazy bouncing off the enclosure um, swinging from their rope toys on their platforms there's it's tons of I I can't explain what 60 excited monkeys looks like, <laughs> enough. A barrel of monkeys. Um, squirrel monkeys are about the size of footballs, maybe smaller. Uh, they have bright white faces, black eyes, uh, yellow hands and arms, yellow tail, kind of darker on the backside. Uh, they live in South America. I've seen them before in the wild, it's really cool. and they in big troops and they can be in mixed troops too with spider monkeys or holler monkeys or uh, capuchins. And they're just really gregarious, really excited, really playful. So we go in there with our blueberries. And <laughs> Gavin and I have our cell phone and we're trying to figure out, okay, long ways, short ways, like how do we do this? Hand the phone to Bree, Bree get get us like feeding the monkeys. They immediately start jumping on us, crawling on us, grabbing our hair, going up. One's on, a, on a, like a string and it's like swinging towards us. So much fun. We are just giggling and laughing. And we even have a, you can see the video on YouTube. I put it on my very unwatched channel. This just keeps moving. Much like the monkeys. So we're, oh, well. so we're done feeding the monkeys and I'm asking Brie questions about what we just did because I'm just confused this happened. I'm like, so like, what's like the vaccination procedure for the monkeys? Uh, monkeys are kind of notorious for having things like uh, hepatitis and other dis- fun zoonotic diseases. She laughs at me. She's like, how do you think we're supposed to vaccinate 60 monkeys? <laughs> I'm like, okay. Well, why 60? And he's like, well, that's how many Hughes rescued. I'm like, well, do they breed? And do they have, like, well, we try not to let them breed. They're, this isn't like a breeding facility. But sometimes they do. And I'm like, well, what happens to the babies? She's like, they mostly eat them. So we just got into an enclosure feeding blueberries whimsically to a bunch of unvaccinated cannibal squirrel monkeys. <laughs> it's exciting. So years later, um I'm a plant ecologist. I study plants and their spatial distribution and how things like wildfire and people affect them. Why well, study plants? Uh there's a there's a lot of them. More than more than animals, which is kinda sad. Uh they don't need vaccines to, in order to be around them. You can step on them and accidentally kill them. It's not a big deal. And they can't hurt you, well, most of them. Um, so I'm out in the desert studying plants with some fellow scientist, one of which was a, a, formerly a primatologist, which specializes in monkeys and apes. And I tell him this story about feeding blueberries to monkeys at the Playboy Mansion. And he's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, why? They're just squirrel monkeys. He's like, yo, they can, like, rip out your, like, eyes. They can, like, rip out your hair. They go for your ears, go for your, like, nether regions. Like, squirrel monkeys are not to be played with. They're, s- they're on the smaller side, but they can be really dangerous. And I'm like, you know, maybe I could have just been, like, on the... F- on the side of the chain link enclosure, just feeding them blueberries like that. They loved it. I mean, they were really into it. Maybe I could have just not been feeding them at all, let the zookeeper do it. Why why did I need to be in the enclosure (laughs) with these monkeys feeding them? It's not for the views, the video, barely anyone's watched it. So, you know, this harkens me back to that really terrible day Steve Irwin passed away, filming for his daughter Bindi um, with the stingrays when he was in the water. He wasn't playing with the stingrays, but he he passed away as an effect of what happened. Animals are not to be, you know, messed with. They have risks associated with studying them. I've worked with a lot of dangerous animals, such as scorpions or various rodents and stuff like that. Even got a bot fly in my back once. there comes risks with play with animals, right? But th- I didn't really know about that until I learned more information, even <laughs> right after them not being vaccinated or eating their babies. But just the fact that what I was doing was in of itself very dangerous. So has that taken away my you know, ability to play? No, I'm still a wandering ecologist out in the world, but it makes you think. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Richard. Uh, yes, our, our microphone has a reputation for playing with our storytellers. Sorry about that. Uh, one of these days, I'm gonna have to re- be recertified on mic stand usage. Um, I, yeah, animals, I kinda have to decide a little bit where I'm gonna travel based on the animals because uh, my partner grew up in Africa and he took me to visit there and there were stories about like these bugs that were called like the eye of, the eye of something Egyptian. Horus. No, it wasn't the eye of Horus. Uh, but they would crawl on the ceiling and drip acid that could land on your skin and um, cause skin irritation. Um, his mom, uh, they had a two-story house in, in Goma and his mom tried to convince me that snakes could not climb stairs, which was very thoughtful of her. But (laughs) I also knew a snake can climb a stair. Yeah, yeah. All right, we're gonna do some more playing with stories. We've got some more slammers over there. Uh, Do you wanna play us a little uh, squirrel monkey interlude on the clarinet? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Did that capture your experience inside the Playboy, the Playboy cage? All right. Here we go. Let's have Chelsea pick a pick a ticket. Very good. All right. And our um, hoochie and the. Uh, Blowfish are getting real excited about <laughs> The material that they get to I don't know sometimes when the story is so funny It's hard to represent it in improv because this truce this true story is so crazy like what do you do? Um, this is a person who is very close to story story and actually was Recently approved to be a new member of the story story night board of directors. Please welcome Natalia <laughs>
4: Okay, cool. Hey everyone. Um, so, for the past couple years, I've been wanting to learn how to sing. It's just something I've been telling myself like, oh, I gotta learn how to sing. I wanna do that, I wanna take some classes or something. And so I was talking to my friend last summer and she said, oh yeah, I'm going to a choir on Monday night. I'm like, oh, you go to choir? Like, what is this choir? Um, Tell me more. And she didn't really have much information for me. She just said, "Um, yeah, it's community choir Monday night at this church, you want to come? I was like, yeah, let's go. Um, So I went to First Presbyterian Church, it's the church, well, one of their churches right by Boise High. There's like 10 other ones right there, so it's not very specific. Um, and so I went in there and, um, not really knowing what to expect, but I did see this beautiful big organ there, which really reminded me of this really welcoming church that I used, that I grew up with, grew up in, in Wisconsin, so I thought, wow, this is a really cool organ. And, um, there was a lot of people there, it was about 25 people, and they handed me a stack of sheet music. And man, I can. I was. I was a little overwhelmed here. Like, oh, sheet music. All right, this is what we're going to be doing. Um, and we and we just we started to warm up, and um, we did these really kind of silly warm ups and, um, and that kind of thing. And then we started reading our music, and you know, I didn't. I don't know anything really about music. I played viola when I was a kid, but I really forgot a whole lot. So I didn't know anything about 4-4 or the, um, I'm seeing my friend Jean here, who's a musician. She actually taught me some stuff a couple weeks ago. Um, (laughs) um, Or what a quarter note, like how long a quarter note was or anything like that. So I was just kind of experiencing it. And to be honest, that first class, that first choir meeting, I was really bored. Like I I thought I was going to. I was just kind of dozing off. It really reminded me of, of orchestra seventh grade, being the one of two violas, second chair, and just, (laughs) (laughs) just you know, it was after lunch, really sleepy, and I did that for a couple years, and that's why my music never took off anywhere. And so, you know, I left, left choir, and, um, and that was that. And I was talking to my friend and a couple other people the week after, and they were saying, oh, how was choir, how was it? I thought, oh, it was really boring. And um, someone was talking to uh, Samantha, my friend, who invited me, and, and, you know, Samantha, are you gonna keep going to choir? And she said, yeah, I think I'm gonna stick with it. And I thought, and I said, I asked why, or what you know, what appeals to you? And she said, Well, it's just you know an opportunity to, to learn. I guess she's kind of in a similar boat as I am in. So I thought, Well, let's let's just do it. If Samantha's going to stick it out, I'll stick it out too. Let's see how it goes. So I continued going to, to going to choir, and um, this choir is all about diversity. Um, even though of the twenty-five people, about sixty-five percent of them are ages 65 and up, and white, (laughs) and the other, let's see, 35% are um, people in their 30s with like purple hair, so it's kind of like a a fun mix. Um, And over time, I've just kind of learned to find some joy and play in this choir. Um, I'm an alto, and I've kind of gotten to know my alto buddies, and we have a little sectional going on. We have practice on Saturday. Um, and it's just, it's goofy. Choir is goofy because there's so much, so much room to mess up. Um, you know, the sopranos in one of our songs, like they have to go so high, like the highest you could possibly imagine. And sometimes it just sounds Awful, and and we just all laugh. We're like, oh my god, that was great. Or sometimes the 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 basses they sound like frogs, <laughs> and then the altos us, you know, we're all very very new to music, and we just sometimes don't know anything what we're doing, and we just we just completely mess up. And I remember one time I. I started a um, one of our songs, and I, I belted out the note like I knew what that note was. And and Bonnie, our sectional lead, she goes, she like looks at me, and like she, I, that was not the right note. <laughs> and it's just lots of opportunities to play like that, and to play with your voice. And you know, your voice is an instrument, and in how you speak and how you. How you just how you are in the world and singing is a mode for that. And so I've been very curious about you know using my body as an instrument and, and playing that instrument. Um, and it's it's been really fun to to learn about the techniques of singing. And one of my favorite parts are doing the warm ups. So before we start playing our music, we we do all these silly warm ups and um, it's just <sighs> going through scales and. Mm, one part of the scale that was interesting for me to learn was, you know, we we, we go do a, a scale, but we use our lips or make a, a, v-, a v sound like, v- like that. And I learned that for the reason why, if you purse your lips like that, the sound, the air coming from out of your lungs, it it um, oh he's coming, um, it, it comes back. <laughs> And it, um, it vibrates your vocal cords, so it relaxes your vocal cords and it warms you up. Anyway, so that's that. Lots of learning, and it's a lot of fun. Um, lastly, we have a concert coming up on February 3rd. <laughs> Hillside Methodist Church, and um, we are called, I always forget the name of our choir. Um, I know it's ridiculous. It's, um, oh, thank you, it's called Common Ground Community Choir. So yeah, thanks y'all.
0: Well, we hit five minutes, and we were starting to do vocal warm-ups, so I was like, <laughs> It must be time! Uh, E.L., did you play in an ensemble at some point? Were you like in a band or anything? Uh,
1: yeah, um, there was um, all the, the school bands and stuff, and before my brother left for college, we were in a duo called The Swirl, and we called ourselves that because we have a black father and a white mother, The Swirl.
0: Ah. Now that's diversity. (laughs) All right. Swirl. I like that. Sounds like squirrel. Um, I was a, I was a choir section leader at a church in Portland called Westminster Presbyterian. And it was a similar (laughs) demographic as what Natalia just described. Um, But, you know, we would be in the big choir loft. It's a beautiful building with the huge stained glass and everything. And you were up on the stage just totally visible for the congregation the whole time. It was kind of hard to remain serious all the time. And particularly when there were typos in the church program. (laughs) And one of the announcements was actually a a former choir member who was turning 90, which was amazing. And the the, uh, program said that Mary Lou would like to invite is having her birthday, and she would like to invite all her dead friends. <laughs> it was supposed to say, dear friends. <laughs> oh hmm. It was, uh, reading, that, reading that in the program, it was, was hard to like not suddenly make a very acoustically known percussive sound. Oh, uh, let's bring up the slammer, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm kind of tempted to do? Maybe we, well, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I happen to notice that one of the tapes in there, we'll see if I can find it right away, says warm ups on it. This thing has been in my garage for 30 years or longer. Was it this one?
1: Okay, um, uh, Carrie Applegate. Hi Carrie. Hi, first time. All right,
0: welcome for the first time. Long time yeah. listener, first time caller.
11: Um, so I found myself in my first corporate job, and to survive, I read a Buzzfeed article, How to Survive Your First Corporate Job. <laughs> And one of the things was join every team, go to every party. And so I'm like, I'm going to join every team. I'm not athletic, but I'll join every team and I'll be there. And so when someone said, do you want to play kickball? I said, sure. (laughs) BuzzFeed said I should. So (laughs) I find myself on the kickball team and I realize that my strengths are um, costume coordination. Um, It's more fun if you have a theme every week. So come on, guys. Let's try to run in wigs. Um, Another strength I had was um, filling out the minimum number of women who had to be on the field at any time, so prerequisites. Um, And bunting. I was really good at bunting. You know, just really, boop, and then I'd run this direction, and I'd get an out, and, you know, somebody else would run in, and they'd score, and I'd be like, doing it for the team, and I, I shortly realized that I'm not a runner, I mean, by then I was 40, and I should have known that by then, but not a runner, but um, one time we were playing a game, and I was like, oh, that was great, I'm really exhausted, that was fantastic, and my teammate comes over, and he goes, you remember all those games that got rained out, and I go, yeah, that was great, and he goes, well, we have to play two games tonight, and I'm like, oh, God, team so I ditch the wig because you know I can't run in two games in a wig and I find myself it's the end of the game I'm exhausted my teammate comes up to me and he goes okay bases are loaded you you cannot bunt and I go well <laughs> that's my thing I bunt I get out I don't have to run around and he goes well for the sake of the story you can't bunt it's more dramatic that way so I'm like great I can't bunt so I'm going to actually have to run and kick and so I start running I'm walking up to the up to the base and I'm like how do I have charley horses in both of my feet and my thighs and I'm like my thighs feel like rubber bands can they just like snap in the middle of running and then how's that going to happen like a, like ambulance is gonna come over here and that's gonna be embarrassing and BuzzFeed didn't say anything about that I mean it never said get taken away in an ambulance on your first time playing kickball but it was the end of the season it wasn't the first time but it sure felt like anyway so I'm just there and I'm just like oh god I can't do this this is awful and I'm just like okay fine whatever and the guys pitcher, I guess his name. He's pitcher. And he's like winding up, and he's getting ready. And I see the ball coming towards me, and I'm like, this is not happening. This is just, I don't know how this is going to, I'm going to fail my team. uh, Anyway, so the ball's coming towards me, and then suddenly, the lights go out. And I go, um what's that all about? And the ref comes up and goes, okay, game's over. Uh, this is Anne Morrison Park. We have a curfew, so no more game. And I'm like, oh. Good job, team, woo <laughs> Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. If you'd like to see the storytellers in addition to hearing them, this entire show is available on the Story Story Night YouTube channel. Support this podcast by texting STORYPOD to 44321. Story Story Night is funded in part by the Idaho Commission on the Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. We also receive funding from the Boise City Department of Arts and History. Thank you to our media sponsor, Radio Boise, and our season sponsor, The Shandro Group. This show was sponsored by The Boise Group. Podcast production is by Stephen Baldessari. Our theme song was composed by Dan Costello. Our guest musician was E.L. Anderson. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe to Story Story Night on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your podcast. Have a story? Call the storyline at 208-917-1970 and leave a message or click the Stories tab on our website find out how to participate in our live show at storystorynight.org or visit us on facebook come to a live show and pick up a copy of my new book audience of one stories of stage screen and solitude i'm jody eichelberger thanks for being a part of our story